Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosberg. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. For those of you who are brand new to the program, let me just go back and do a bit of review for the rest of you who are regular listeners. The purpose of this program is to strengthen family caregivers. We don't really get into a lot of caregiving on this program because I can't tell you how to take care of your loved one any more than you could tell me how to take care of mine. What we can do is strengthen one another for the journey. What we do here on this program is we speak to the troubled heart of a family caregiver, the fear, the depression, the despair, the rage, the resentment, the guilt, the obligation, the bone-tired weariness, all of the above. I help walk fellow caregivers back from the ledge so they can catch their breath, take a knee if they have to, and then develop better strategies for living a healthier life as a caregiver. Now, admittedly for some, the journey is a relatively short one, you know, six months, a year, two years. But for many of us, the journey is rather profound and has lifetime implications for us. That it's not something we just get through and then go on with our life. This is our life. I, I realized that while I was in Denver with Gracie. Now, she is home. If you hear me speaking a little quieter, it's because she is upstairs asleep. And I don't want to wake her. I'm not in my studio. Be That's a long story. But suffice it to say, I'm being a little more subdued just so I don't wake her up. But I don't think I will. I've, hey, Gracie, you awake? So far, so good. Oh, y'all, I'm just kidding. I can't be very far from her right now because she needs a lot of extra help. It's going to be a long recovery from this surgery. Again, for those of you who are new, it was her 86th that I can count. I'm sure she's had more than that and many more smaller procedures, but it's been a journey for her and for me as well. And, And I've been doing this now for almost 40 years. And I think it's safe to say that this has affected my life permanently. I mean, you know, I've been doing this since I was really 22. So my entire adult life is framed by this. And and I was thinking about that when I was in the hospital with her in Denver over the last couple of months when we were doing this. And I realized that this is not something I look forward to getting through so that we can get on with our life. One day as I was walking from my hotel room over to the hospital, going through the elevator, the whole thing, you know, I came to understand that this is my life. And it's okay. It's not a bad life. It's a hard life, but it's not a bad life. And there's a freedom that comes with that of accepting that this is my journey. Now, for some of you all, that's not going to be the same. Some of you are going to do this for a short term. But there's many in this audience who will not. And if you've got somebody in your life with a severe chronic impairment, you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't minimize the journey for any of us. What it does is it gives us a little bit of perspective of, okay, for a season, some will do this, and then that journey will be over, and then they will move on to something else. But for others, our whole life is framed by this. Principles still remain the same, no matter if you're in active caregiving or you're reflecting back on it principles that we talk about on this program are still the same. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers, and we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, more joyful life while doing it. That principle applies towards everything, 
because we're always going to be faced with challenges in this world, whether it's as caregivers, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our families, whatever. It doesn't have to involve acute chronic impairments such as disability and so forth. Life hands us very difficult things. How we deal with those things, how we work through those things, is what this program is all about. We do it in the arena of being a caregiver. Okay, so that's just a little bit of preamble to the program. I want to pivot a little bit towards counseling. Have you noticed that we have a lot of folks struggling with mental illness? There was a time when you didn't talk about it very much, and that kept things in the dark and people shut away, and that wasn't good. But the pendulum has kind of swung a bit, and we, instead of hiding it, we get out and parade it out. We, we literally have parades uh, where mental illness is on full display. Uh, we have whole television shows dedicated to this sort of thing where we let people just get out and waller in it, as we would say in South Carolina. Waller, that is a that is a verb. I will waller in it. The term waller is usually applied to hogs. And uh, Tommy and Betsy, y'all will agree with that. These are my dear friends who listen to the program. And Tommy used to raise pigs years and years ago. Tommy and Betsy did. And, and I remember one of the first jobs I did with my Best friend growing up, Dexter James Winsky II, we call him Swift, he's a great American. We would have to clean the pig barn, which was not a lot of fun. And you see the aftermath of wallering. So anyway, we waller in the dysfunction, and we're parading it on out. And we may get into that a little later, but right now I want to just talk about the benefits of counseling for us as caregivers and for our loved ones. And there's some people, you can always tell the ones who need counseling because they are very vocal about how much they don't. It's like, I don't need counseling. Oh, ma'am, you're in a Chick-fil-A. So, yeah, yeah you probably do. <laughs> you know, we got people like that. And, and, and I recommend it. Gracie and I have had a lot of counseling in our life. Now, we've been hard on counselors. I freely admit that. I know of two marriage counselors we went to who got involved with someone else and ended up divorcing their spouses. I know of one priest, I think, who left the ministry. I know of a couple other counselors. I think they turned to drugs and alcohol after us. So, yeah, we're hard on counselors. We've been raised by a pack of therapists. And I recommend it, but there are some things you might want to be uh, cautious of as you approach a counselor. One of them is you're not there to get somebody to just listen to you. You, you really want to have an active goal of what you want to accomplish for you or in dealing with your loved one. Now, your loved one may not want to do this. And I've been talking with somebody this week who is going through that. The, the, my brother gave me a pretty good piece of counsel on this. He's a counselor himself. And, you know, if somebody is an active addiction, he's not going to even waste the time talking to them. If they're drinking or taking drugs, what is the point of going to counseling until you have gotten into some kind of recovery program, there's no point in going to counseling. You're not that interested in changing at this point. Counseling is not just to emote and have somebody listen to you talk about your feelings. It's to learn tools and strategies and work through something with a trained professional to move you further and further away from a destructive lifestyle into a place where you're calmer and healthier. If you have a marriage, for example, in one 
uh, spouse is actively involved in adultery, you don't go to marriage counseling. That's not going to do anything until they stop that behavior. Otherwise, you just go to a divorce lawyer because until they're willing to stop, no amount of counseling is, is going to change anything. You follow me? So counseling in itself is not the, you know, the, the answer. Counseling is a tool. And I caution listeners on this program regularly, go in with a plan. Go in with a plan. What, what is the goal here? Is the goal just to talk about your feelings? Because you're going to spend a lot of money on that. Or is the goal to get some tools to, again, move you down the road so you can be healthier and deal with the circumstances you deal with better and ultimately be more successful in living your life? doesn't mean you're going to solve the problems. It just means you're going to be better equipped to deal with them. So you have to have a goal with this. And the goal cannot be to change someone else. That's on them. They may not be capable of change, but even if they are, you're not the one that can do that. And I know this is basic stuff, okay? This is the fundamentals, but sometimes you got to go back to the fundamentals. I didn't have anybody lay this out for me very simply when I was young and in the throes of all this. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was becoming a a full-fledged idiot. And nobody sat down and said, okay, here's a path. So if this seems elementary to you, I beseech your indulgence because there's somebody out there that needs to hear elementary. Okay, this is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. This is Abraham Hamilton III with AFR, and we're sending Bibles. Here's Michael with Bible League International. Abe, what if you were a new believer, eager to grow in your faith, but you had no Bible? You'd say, well, I'd go to a Christian bookstore, have a company ship me one. Well, what if those weren't options? You know, that's the way it is for literally millions of Bibleist believers in the regions of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America. They've been denied God's Word, but oh, the joy that comes when they finally receive a Bible. When I got the Bible, I really love to read. And because of those reading that God is really blessing my heart. AFR listening family, you've been incredibly kind to bless 18,000 Bibleist believers. We've been in a months-long campaign to bless 20,000. We've got 2,000 to go. We need to do it by Sunday, February 11th. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100. Would you pray about it and get involved, Abe? You can give by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or visit sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another. Fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. Take this one heart, dear Lord, and fill it with your love. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and I love that voice. I I will ask you this. Uh, you lift her up in prayer. Not only is she recovering from all this, but Gracie is a bit worried that she'll be able to sing again. You know, you can only have so many tubes shoved down your throat before you start getting some damage. I firmly believe that she will, but she is a bit concerned about it, so I would ask that you would continue just to lift her in prayer. She wants to sing, and I want to hear her sing some more. She's got more songs to sing, but she is a bit worried about it. But that is one of my favorite performances that she's ever done. Uh, I That was one of the first songs that we ever performed together, and, and I just love it. All right, I want to switch gears to something I've been thinking about for some time, and I want to go to the book of John, John chapter 11. And I may spread this over a couple of segments, so bear with me. John chapter 11, and verse, starting with verse 38 through 44. And I've been stewing on this for a while. Um, I'm reading in the New King James, which just as a piece of trivia in my life, when I was at Columbia Bible College back in the early 80s, I was a freshman, I believe, in chapel. And this man showed up who was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. And his name was Sam Moore. Very distinguished fellow, and he was in his 50s at the time, uh, early 50s. I am older than he was when he showed up there. And uh, Thomas Nelson had just finished translating the New Testament into the New King James. It was something that they had commissioned to do was to soften the King James Version without losing the poetry of it, but to soften it so that people in modern day times could understand it a little bit better. I love the poetry of the King James. We memorized a lot of verses to that growing up, but the new King James helps make it a little bit more understandable and read a little bit more contemporary without losing that. And the scholarship is is wonderful on it. And he gave out these New Testaments to every student there. Sam had gone to Columbia Bible College back in the 50s. Well, flash forward to when we moved to Nashville, and that's the headquarters of Thomas Nelson at the time. And and I met Gracie. Well, it turns out that Gracie's father and Sam were sweet mates at Columbia Bible College back in the old days when they were there. And they had remained friends. And so I got to know Sam and, of course, made the connection there, uh, both all of us being at Columbia Bible College. Now it's called Columbia International University. And um, I got to be very close friends with Sam. Spent a lot of time with he and his family. And uh, as Sam passed away uh, about five years ago. I played at his funeral and Gracie sang and uh, I helped uh, his wife plan some of the funeral. When I stood at his grave, I had that little New Testament he had given me as a freshman so many years ago when I didn't even know the connection. And uh, Gracie's grandfather and uh, her father and and a lot of her extended family were all very close with Sam. And Sam uh, had a lot of fondness for uh, Gracie's grandfather. He called him the judge. Gracie's grandfather was a state's attorney in Florida. Sam had a lot of respect for him, and we were able to introduce Sam to our oldest grandchild, 
when he was born. So Sam got to engage with five generations of the same family. And I thought that was quite remarkable. In this day and age, you just don't see a lot of that. And uh, I've always been very fond of the family. And so anyway, I'm reading out of the New King James, this little piece of trivia that probably means nothing to anybody else, but it's always poignant to me when I see that. Verse 38, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now we all know this passage. We've heard it over and over, some of us, since we were children. But there's something I want to lock in. A couple things I want to lock in. Uh, Number one, it's interesting that Jesus did not plead with Lazarus. Hey, Lazarus, do you want to come forth? Hey, Lazarus, would you like to live again? Hey, Lazarus, would you like to be raised from the dead? (laughs) He, He didn't, this wasn't an invitation. It was a summons. It was a command. This is our salvation. It's, you know, I'm bewildered by people who think that God in heaven above, the high king of heaven, who before time began, the, the whole plan of redemption was in his mind, in the mind of the Trinity. And the son came to earth. God became flesh through the son lived a perfect life so that his righteousness could be imputed by faith to us, paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, was risen from the dead for our justification. As Paul says in Romans 4.25, and now that same God, people somehow think that he's in heaven hoping we're going to make the right decision, hoping we're going to get it right. You know, I'm bewildered by that. He commanded Lazarus to come forth. He raised him from the dead. He infused life into Lazarus. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said to Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection. He imputed that life into Lazarus and summoned him forth. And Lazarus came forth. He made... He gave Lazarus the ability to be willing to walk out of the tomb, but he did not have the ability. He didn't have anything. He was dead, just as we were in our sins. And he summoned us forth. Come forth, 
He, we love him because he first loved us. And he comes forth. So anyway, that's a side. But the thing I want to lock in on this is that Lazarus walked out of that tomb covered in grave clothes. Now, why am I saying this? Go back to what Martha said. Lord, don't open this tomb. He's been in there four days. He stinks. It's going to be a smell. It's horrific. It's going to smell like death. But I say to you, everything that I see in Scripture communicates to me that when Lazarus was raised from the dead, when life was imputed to him, Lazarus no longer stunk. He was alive. Who Lazarus was did not stink, but his grave clothes did. His grave clothes did. And sometimes we get the the smells confused. Who has been raised in Christ is a new creature, is a new creation. But we still have a lot of grave clothes on us, don't we? Some of us have more than others. Some of us stink more than others. I believe the greatest privilege we have is discipling others. And the mandate we have, by the way, Matthew 28. But the the, the privilege and the mandate is to help others understand what it means to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. To be summoned out of the grave. We will still have the stench of grave clothes. But we are not emanating that stench because, again, behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. We're not emanating that stench. We are alive. But we are covered up with things that give the appearance of death. And those things have to be unraveled in our lives. And so Jesus looked at the people around Lazarus and said, loose him and let him go. Didn't say, Lazarus, loose yourself. He said to the others, loose him and let him go. He was bound in this. And some of us are bound with things that are extremely painful and toxic and smell of death. There's a great book if I would really recommend you reading, but, but get a lot of highlighters, okay? Because you're going to run through highlighters on this. It's Dr. Diane Langberg's. It's called Suffering in the Heart of God. And she's been on this program, just a wonderful, wonderful lady, uh, amazing insights into what trauma does to people. Some listening in this audience have undergone such trauma and you smell of death. But if you're in Christ, you're not emanating that smell. That's the trauma that has bound you up. That is the sin that bound you up. But now it's time to be loosed from this. And there are people in your life who can help you do this. There are godly people around you who can help you do this, who will not say you are death. They will help get the death cloth off of you. Do you understand the difference? One of the things that pleases God, in fact, the thing that pleases God, is taking him at his word. 
Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And faith is taking him at his word. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So I'm going to ask you point blank. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that you're a new creation? That you have a heart of flesh, not of stone? If so, what are the implications of that belief? Lazarus was no longer dead. Lazarus no longer emitted stench. But the grave clothes did, and they need to come off. And so do yours and mine. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. When we talk about politics, we tend to, as Christians, kind of set aside our faith and say, well, in the political arena, I identify more as a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative versus a liberal. The biblical worldview genuinely is the foundation and the basis for everything that we do, including our involvement in and analyzing civil government. Jenna Ellis in the morning, weekdays at 7 Central on American Family Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, host of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on AFR.net. I serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. The Dr. Nurse Mama Show on AFR.net. Hebrews 11 describes many heroes in the Bible's Hall of Fame of Faith. What did these men and women do that we can learn from for today in our own lives? Hello, I'm Sam Rora with another Stand in the Gap Minute. This week, we've discussed what Scripture teaches about living by faith. You see, faith is more than feelings, but it's a conviction based on the facts that God has revealed in His Word. In Hebrews 11, we find many examples of people who trusted God during difficult times, often risking their lives in the process. God's desire for us is the same. Are we willing to place our lives in God's hands even in the most difficult moments of life? When we do, we follow the pattern of those the Lord commended in the past, providing modern examples of a faithful believer for others today. God is calling you to live by faith today as well. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. Cause with Jesus, I can take it. Oh, ask Him. I know I can't stand. No matter what may come my way, my life is in your That is, again, my wife. I love her voice, and I love her singing that song. My life is in your hands, and that's something we have to live out every day. Listen, I want to go back to what we were talking about in the last block. You know, he summoned Lazarus forth, and his sisters were so worried, you know, about the smell and this and that and so forth. And do you think they were worried about the smell as they were unraveling those grave clothes to loose him and let him go? Or do you think they were rejoicing that their brother was alive? How many of us in our church culture in this country get worked up about the smell? 
rather than spend time rejoicing that someone else is alive. Maybe because I'm older, I, I look at these things a bit differently, but when I see people going through painful things in their lives that are uncomfortable for a lot of people, and I, and I certainly saw this when I was in Denver, I would get on the elevator with folks and strike up a conversation. Because again, as I said in the first block, this is my life. My life is not to rush through this so that I could go off and do something I want to do. This is my life. And I believe that God is going to bring people in my path who I have the privilege of being able to talk to and maybe take off a few grave clothes along the way, just like people have done for me. And I could see it on people that were struggling under tremendous things. And it was painful. It was Some of it was, quite frankly, gross. But we have the mandate and the privilege of sharing the gospel and making disciples. But, but what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is he's risen from the dead, and therefore we identify with that and are also raised from our death, that we have been summoned forth. And who are we to shun others because their grave clothes stink? Let's help get them off. One of the greatest passages in Scripture, to me personally, that Jesus modeled this himself was when he told, on the day of his resurrection, when he told Mary to go back and tell his disciples, and then he said, and tell Peter. He knew that Peter was drowning in the stench of his failure. And Jesus specifically called him out by name and tell Peter. For those of us who have smelled the stench of death on us. See, it doesn't bother us when we're dead, but it bothers us a lot when we're alive. We need help getting that off. And that's what people have done for me. And that's what I hope to do through this program is to help loose my fellow caregivers to recognize you have been made a new creation in Christ. And yes, there is the stench of death and failure. But understand, it is not coming from who Christ resurrected. It is coming from what was put on you in that death. And I would imagine that Lazarus had a pretty difficult time walking out of that grave. He was bound up. And it took compassionate, excited, wonderful people like his sisters and others to loose him and rejoice what God has done. Do you feel bound up? Do you feel overwhelmed by the stench of the grave clothes that you're wearing? The guilt, the shame, the anger, the rage, the frustration, the despair, all of the above, fear. That's what this program is for, is to help unwind some of that so that you can see the life that God has raised from the dead. That's you, by the way. That's me. We don't have to wear these things. And we don't have to identify as this. That's why I hate that term so much being used in our culture. I identify as this. 
There are people out there who say, well, I identify as a gay Christian. Really? That's, that's grave clothes. You're identifying with grave clothes? Is that what you want to identify as? How, long, how much longer do we have somebody who says, I identify as a pedophile Christian? I'm not practicing, but I identify as a pedophile Christian. Can, can I watch your nursery? I mean, how much longer? I identify as a, as a stealing Christian. I like to steal, but I'm, I'm not doing it. Can I take up your offering? <laughs> you know, I mean, how absurd can we be? I do not want to identify as anything that has to do with death. We identify with Christ. That's the whole point. And it's our responsibility to help loose others as they loose us from these things. I don't want to put perfume on rotting cloth that smells of death. You don't mask it up. Do you, you ever hear the stories back in the old days in Parliament and uh, and in our Congress and so forth where they didn't have a lot of showers and everybody wore all this cologne? They all stunk, but they just kept putting on, you know, dousing themselves with perfumes and colognes to cover up the stench. That is the antithesis of what Christ does. He does not cover up the stench. He raises us from what is creating that. And then as believers, that's how we minister to one another. We help loose people and let them go. If you want to identify as somebody who is in whatever, all you're doing is identifying with death. And I don't wish to do that. And I don't want you to do it. Can't stop you. But that's not the gospel. We don't put perfume on death. We loose people and we let them go so that they are freed from these things. So when, I, when you go to counselors, like I said in the first block here of this program, the goal is not to go over there and have somebody else help you put perfume on grave clothes. The goal is to be loosed from this. You're bound up. You're twisted in knots with something that is just putrid. Let's loose them. Let them go. Who you are in Christ, who you've been resurrected to be, is not that. And I don't want to identify with it. And why would anybody else want to? I don't care what proclivities you think you have. Does it line up with Scripture? And if it doesn't, it's death. For the wages of sin is death. I mean, do you see how absurd it is? And I'll probably get letters. Oh, Peter, you don't understand. Okay. Send the letters. You can email me at peter at theinternet.google. But I see nowhere in Scripture where it says for us to identify with the sin and death of this world. The only death I want to identify with is Christ, his death, so that I can be resurrected in Christ. That's it. And he doesn't give us grave clothes that are putrid. He gives us his righteousness, clothed in fine garments of his righteousness, all our righteousness, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, is filthy rags. 
That's it's Lazarus' grave clothes. That's the best we could hope for is the stench of death with our righteousness. And that's why when somebody says, well, look, I identify as this. I identify as a gay Christian. Well, how do you know you're gay? Somebody says, I identify as a, an adulterer Christian, a fornicating Christian, a murdering Christian. Where does it stop? How much longer do we want to identify with grave clothes? Now, why am I telling you this as a caregiver? Because so many of us become bound up in the stench of death. And we get it all mashed together thinking that that's who we are. By faith, we accept what Christ has done. Somebody said, well, I don't feel that. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you know and what Scripture teaches, more importantly. It's not about feeling better. It's about being better. It's about us understanding the truth of the gospel so that it gets into our bloodstream, that we have been justified by him. He is sanctifying us. Sanctification doesn't come before justification. Justification comes before sanctification. And he justified, he summoned Lazarus forth. Sanctification is taken off the grave clothes. And that may be a lifetime process for some. It seems to be for me. But so many of our churches are filled with vats of perfume that we pour on other people's grave clothes when they should be filled with scissors and things to cut this stuff off of us and throw it away and burn it and rejoice that our brother and that our sister is alive. And so I look at you, my fellow caregivers, I rejoice that you're alive, and my passion is to help you shed these stinky, putrid grave clothes that have the overpowering smell of death on them, which is all the things that keep you in bondage, and to cast those away into the fire where they belong so that you can live freely. I am not in the business of putting perfume on stinky grave clothes I hope you're not either and if you go to a church that is if your pastor's doing that looks like you got a decision to make because that is not a healthy place Jesus did not want Lazarus to continue walking around in grave clothes and you know those grave clothes stunk But Lazarus did not emit the stench. That was from the decay of death. And we are not bound to that anymore. And by faith, we walk away from that. Now think about Lazarus. He knew that he was alive and he could probably smell the clothes, but he was rejoicing that he was alive. People helped him get rid of that stuff, washed it all off, cleaned him up and let him go. What a what a great piece of news that is. We're not in bondage to this. But how I've lived as a caregiver is to recognize that I don't need to put perfume on the putrid. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? 
She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. Hey, friends, it's Jessica Peck, Dr. Nurse Mama, as your one-minute parenting coach. Have you ever asked your kid, how was your day, and gotten a shoulder shrug with the answer, fine? We are conditioned as a society to respond that we are fine when someone asks us how we are doing. Simply changing the wording could make all the difference in the world. Next time your kid comes home from school, try Tell me about your day instead of how was your day. But choose your timing. Kids need time to decompress when they get home. Give them grace and space. Kids at bedtime are most likely to be willing to give you the war and peace length version of their day. Don't give up. Be consistent. And most of all, keep trying. I'll see you on the Dr. Nurse Mama radio show right here on American Family Radio. He's faithful and he's true to complete the work he begins in me and you. I want to and I need to be like Jesus. I want to. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for the family caregiver, and that is my wife, Gracie. Don't you think that she has more songs left to sing in her? I think she does. That is her singing the uh, incomparable Keith Green's song, I Want to Be More Like Jesus. And uh, I love, she recorded that, wow, many, many years ago, and I love going back and listening to that. We were talking about... Uh, Lazarus, and we're talking about what we're talking about when you say loosen grave clothes. You know, they said loose him and let him go. Really, what that's about, if you if you play it out, it's sanctification. Paul talked about that as you know, letting go of everything else and pressing on towards Christ. That that's the whole point of this. And as caregivers, we hold on to a lot of things that we just don't need to hold on to. We grasp them like grim death, and it's time to let them go. They're not doing anything but creating a uh, bondage situation for us, a putrid smell, if we stay on that same theme. And some people get it mixed up. They think you got to be sanctified before you could be justified. Lazarus wasn't sanctified before he was justified. He wasn't loose from his grave clothes before he was raised from the dead. You follow me? He was raised from the dead, then we loose the grave clothes. But 
we get it backwards. We think somehow we got to go up and be all pretty and smell pretty and, and not be rotting in order for God to save us. And God says, no, I'm going to save you. Then I'm going to clean you and loose you and let you go. Do you see the difference? It, 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 one of it is dependent on us doing something. And the other is depending on God doing something. Both of those can't be right. We either depend on God or we depend on ourselves. And if we depend on ourselves, then we've got to justify ourselves before God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. And that's why sometimes I had a friend of mine once say, you plead guilty and go straight to execution and then let God resurrect. Because we have nothing to stand on. Nothing. But when he summons us from the grave, when he calls us forth, like he did with Lazarus, we walk out. And yeah, at first we're stumbling a little bit. And we may have stinky grave clothes on us. But then that's our privilege as Christians to be able to care for one another in that regards, to help remove those things and keep pointing people to the one who called them out of the grave. That's how we do it as believers. And that's how I do it as a caregiver. Go back to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The old man is gone. What's been resurrected is completely different. The life I live as a caregiver, that's the way I do it. Now, you may have a different opinion. You may want to do something different. That's your business. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm telling you how I've lived mine. This is what I've learned. And if you want to put perfume on something that stinks, that is your business. But I'm not in the business of doing that. And I feel no reason to be coerced into that by others. It stinks. It is what it is. I do not place the nature of my sin in the same sentence with my relationship with Christ. I have been redeemed. And now I identify with Christ and I belong to him exclusively, not to my sin. Now you may wonder how this has to do a lot with care, being a caregiver, but to me, this is my life. Again, I talked about this at the first block. This is my life. And how I live my life is reflected of my theology. And I've come to understand that he called me out of a tomb. And just like Lazarus, I had a lot of stinky grave clothes. And I needed help getting those off. Some of that came through counseling. That's what I talked about again at the first block. When you go to a counselor, what is your goal here? And your theology is going to come into play here. And I have found that there's a lot of weak theology being promulgated. It, it, it is really sad. And that stuff will not sustain you when you spend two months in the hospital on your wife's 86th surgery. I promise you, it's not going to sustain you. Weak theology never does. I can't have a casual relationship with God through this. And I'm certainly not going to insult the costly redemptive work he's done in my life by somehow aligning that with my sin. 
So when somebody comes up and says they're a gay Christian, or they're an adultering Christian, or they're a fornicating Christian, or they're a lying Christian, I am guilty of all of the law, but I do not want to put it in the same breath with the redemptive work of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. I no longer live. So if I'm trying to somehow grasp an identity that is not of Christ, then I haven't been crucified with Christ. Look what Paul talks about in Philippians. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Let's start with um, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's doing? He's not identifying himself as a Pharisee Christian. He's not identifying himself as anything other than crucified with Christ so that he may be raised with Christ. And by faith, he is hanging on to that, knowing he is being sanctified, knowing that all those grave clothes are being peeled off of him to be presented faultless, as the book of Jude says. If you look at the last bit of Jude, and this is how I ended my new book, A Minute for Caregivers, When Every Day Feels Like Monday. Available wherever books are sold. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do that a lot in my caregiver support group. And they always laugh at me. But I ended the last words on the page of the whole book are from Jude 24, when it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you, what? Faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what Paul is striving towards. That's what he is looking forward to, letting go of all these other things. So if we are continually relishing and, as I said, the other black wallowing in stinky things of grave clothes that need to be discarded, and we want to somehow identify with that, all we're doing is prohibiting ourselves from growing in what Paul is mentioning there to, to press on, to strive towards that. There is nothing else. So as a caregiver, we sometimes get ourselves so twisted around. We think we're not happy. This is a distraction for our life. This is this is an inconvenience. We're not. We're just upset. We're this. We're this. Blah 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 blah. We see our failures. We see all these things. We wallow in it. Realize that. Wait a minute. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live is a caregiver. As Gracie's caregiver, you don't think I have to make amends on a daily basis for the things that I do and say. She'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, I've had ample time to fail at everything, but I don't identify with the failures. I identify with the one who called me out of the grave. And with his mercy and his grace, there are people that he has sent my way to help untangle me from these things so that I am able to then pour into Gracie's life 
the things that will equip her and help her deal with the challenges she has. And the same with you all in listening to this program. I'm not here to put perfume on something that stinks. You don't polish a cow pie. You don't put sugar sprinkles on horse manure. You don't do it. And anybody that says it, they're a fool. Okay? What you do is you press on. You let go of all these things. And you realize that needs to go. That demandingness that you're smelling, that comes from the grave clothes. You've been risen to something new. You're not in bondage to that anymore. That anger, that despair, that frustration, that guilt. People say, well, I still feel guilty. Well, that's your problem because you're not believing the word of God that says, if any man confesses his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So are you saying that just because you feel something, God is not true? Do you see the ridiculousness of how we get ourselves into these pretzels? It's not about how you feel. It's about what he says. And I asked at the at the end of the B block, do you believe this? And if so, what are the implications? If you believe it, then by faith, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Paul says in Galatians. I live by faith. I take him at his word. And his word says you have been summoned out of the grave. You have been brought forth out of death. You are in Christ. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll see you next time.